From the home offices of Ash and Flow, this is Unbillable Hours, a podcast about professional services marketing. Stick around to listen to our insights, tips, and best practices to improve your firm's marketing and even your career. So here we are again in your case, in my case, Ash. Yeah, we're back again. Bit of a recording streak today, but this time we're joined by a guest, which is excellent. We have Joseph Paris with us, who, Joseph, please correct me if I'm getting it wrong, but you're the founder and now the chairman of Sony Tech, right? And you're an expert in operational excellence. And I grabbed this line from your LinkedIn profile because I found it was very clear, which I like, where it says you help companies around the world to become high performance organizations. Do you want to add any of something to that or was that fair enough? That's fair enough. I mean, you know, uh, I'm sure that people will find me on LinkedIn and, you know, I, I got my, I got a lot of plates spinning. You know, I founded yeah. Zonatech. <laughs> yeah, I founded Zonatech back in 1985. So, you know, it makes me uniquely unemployable. And, you know, I founded a think tank. You know, we're talking about operational excellence. I founded a think tank called the Operational Excellence Society. And it's got a companion uh, group on LinkedIn called Operational Excellence. No coincidence there, which is a fairly vibrant group and uh, well engaged. Yeah. But, you know, <clears throat> operational excellence, you know, I, maybe I'll share a little bit about, you know, how I came to have the thoughts that I have about operational excellence. Yeah, please. Yeah, please do. Yeah. Okay. So even from 1985, I've always strived, uh, my value proposition was to try to get an organization to work better as an organization. Yeah. So not just optimize processes, which are end to end, but like horizontal integration. I I use an analogy uh, about readiness and operational excellence as a, you know, we've all seen a pond, right? In a very early in the morning. You know, it's mm-hmm. the water is still like a mirror. Yeah. Right. Okay. And you can see the reflection of the objects on the other side of the lake and everything is nice and calm. And all of a sudden this, you know, brat kid comes along and throws a rock in there and he disturbs the peace. Right. Yep. So wherever that rock hits, wherever that rock hits in the pond, there's a lot of kinetic energy released. So that's the point mm-hmm. of impact. However, eventually that ripple effect will will influence the entirety of the pond. Okay, so the yeah, pond yeah, is going yeah, it, to be... It ripples across the entire surface is what you're saying. Right. So maybe that rock landed in finance and there's a big problem in finance, but it's going to affect sales and production. Or maybe it landed in supply chain and it's going to affect you know sales and finance. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. maybe it you know hit HR and all of a sudden we can't hire people because we can't find them. And that's going to have downstream effects. So if we think about our organizations as organisms... Now, wherever that point of impact is where the most influence is going to be felt, but it's going to be incrementally felt everywhere else. So, All right. Yeah, that makes sense. So when I was trying to figure out, I went to a conference, it was the early 2000s. I went to a conference, industrial engineering conference, and there's a lot of people that love lean and six segment continuous improvement. But the, this idea of operational excellence started stirring around. And I thought it was a pretty cool notion, operational excellence. I didn't subscribe that it was a rebranding, if you will, of Lean and Six Sigma. 
I thought it was something, there's got to be something more here. So I was a very early adopter of LinkedIn. And, uh, you know, when I got back, I grabbed the group Operational Excellence because it was available. Okay. So this is more of a Forrest Gump moment than anything else. More lucky than smart. All right. This is not <laughs> right. a design play. So <clears throat> I'm there with, uh, and I've grabbed the Operational Excellence group and people started joining and I started reproving people and this kept on going on and on. And what I discovered is that the challenges faced by companies and individuals are the same around the world. But how they approach those challenges are really a product of how they grew up and what hmm. problem-solving skills they needed. So, for instance, when I'm in South Africa, you know, if a machine breaks down, they're going to fix it with coat hanger wire, duct tape, or WD-40. You know, yeah, because yeah. getting the right part is a challenge. Yeah. If, right. if yeah. that same machine breaks down in Germany, the repair, some archaeologists will find it 10,000 years from now, it will still be working. Okay. So, you know, the problem, the challenges that we face and the way we approach them is very dependent upon, you know, how we were able to solve problems when we were young. I found that very fa fascinating, but still, what is operational excellence? So one of my good friends is a Marine aviator, and uh, he shared with me that his carrier group had been made operational. We use the word operational. And I said, what does that mean? And uh, his yeah, response, you, you know, uh, yeah, really. And I, he said, it means that the U.S. Navy has determined that the aircraft carrier, all of its apparatus and personnel on board, and all of its tender ships and, and support vessels are all prepared to engage in the purpose for which they're intended. All right. Ah, fit for know, operations, right, you could say. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. yeah let me do the thing. Okay. Yeah. So, so th this put the light bulb on. Okay. So now I'm thinking about horizontal, you know, systems thinking and design thinking. You know, this is not about, you know, just process improvement, but how do these yeah. processes fit together and make that entity an operational entity? Which, by the way, I, what I like about this here, and maybe I'm reading it wrong, but it seems to put like an end cap or a, a, it seems to define the state of excellence, which that's the part I always grapple with. But like, when is it like perfectionism never ends, right? When are you excellent at something? It seems like the way you're describing it here, it means once it's ready to do the stuff I intended it to do. Is that excellence already or am it's, I getting it? Well, I mean, there's always levels of proficiency that you can strive for. Like if you're on an aircraft carrier and you're standing in the wrong place at the wrong time, you're going to have a bad day. You yeah. know, it's, yes. so, you know, it's a level of, you know, not only does your systems have to work, but there's always an opportunity to improve the proficiency of the use of those systems. All right. So maybe okay. it's like when you think about an internal combustion engine, no engine is like a hundred percent efficient, right? You study that in physics. But you can right. make it as efficient as possible by using the right fuel okay. and making sure everything is, you know, operating in the best way possible. So right. you can move it from say sixty percent using a crappy knock, you know, fuel that has a lot of knocks to something much better and raise it to ninety-five, something like that. All right. So there's a theoretical threshold or whatever or a limit, and I push towards that. That's the idea. Right. And there's also a point of diminishing return. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So sometimes, it, you know, if somebody were to make the perfect car and it was perfect in every way nobody would be able to afford it yeah okay so there's a point where you have to say you know close enough is good enough and by the way if you concentrate all of your efforts and all your investment on one point 
you're neglecting other points. So then your process is optimized, but that process being part of a suboptimized system makes the entire system suboptimized. Right. So you really have yeah. to, you know, when you're looking at improvements, you have to look at the balance of the improvements, not just the improvement itself. You know, how do these things fit together? Fair enough. So, so I, you know, I came up with a, a definition, you know, that mm -hmm. I'll share with your audience because most people, there's a Supreme Court justice in the United States when he was asked to define obscenity. He says, I can't, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. All right. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> that seems to make sense. Yeah. Okay. Operational excellence uh, as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it is proper. You know, most people can describe it. Okay. They really yeah. can describe it. Okay. They know it when they see it, but they couldn't. Uh, so I spent probably three years on this definition, not, you know, toiling like a monk in a monastery for this yeah, three yeah. years and just working on this, but and it's fairly brief. So I'm going to share it with your audience and just explain the components. So okay. know, operate, operational excellence is a state of readiness. No coincidence, it's the title of my book, but state of readiness, it's a condition. You know, yeah. the Boy Scout motto is be prepared. So it's a state of readiness that is attained as the efforts throughout the organization. So it's like, you know, the entire organization. Yeah. You know, it has these efforts that are aligned, reach a state of alignment for achieving the strategies. Okay. So state of alignment, everybody knows what it is in absolute terms. Like I have one client and I asked them what their vision of the future was. And they said, we want to be the number one e-commerce fashion provider in all of Europe. Mm -hmm. I said, super. What does number one mean? You know, the person from logistics is hundred percent on time delivery. Person in sales is the most sales guy in finance is the most profitable. So even yeah. from that get out, you know, we don't know what number one is. All right. So we I can't align. That, I love that point. Yeah. Because I run and into this. So, uh, so yeah, I run into this in marketing. We often have conversations with firms around the ideal client profile. And I always pause everybody and say, let's have a definition of ideal first. Yeah. And then that's funny because yeah. of course the finance guy has a different definition of ideal as the consultant who actually has to work with that particular client every day. Right, right. <laughs> right. Absolutely yeah, right. Yeah, no, it's great, yeah. And, and so where the corporate culture is committed to the continuous and deliberate improvement of company performance. So it's not just continuous improvement, it's deliberate. You know, building yes. off of one another. It's proactive, not reactive. And I talk about company performance because to me, it doesn't matter about profit as much as is this company executing according to its plan. So for yeah. years, Amazon wasn't making any money, but it was in losing a lot of money. But every year it was executing according to its plan. So people had yeah. faith in it. So, you know, company performance, you know, something that really is determined by the board and the senior executives, what are we going to do in the next three or five years time? And I also talk about, and the circumstances of those who work there. So I don't talk about pay. Right. You know, yeah. people want to have joy in their work. Yeah. They want to, you know, they want to go home the same way that they came to work. You know, so safety is important. They want to make sure that the company is respectful to them. Yeah. So, you know, mm -hmm. it, it, you know, what is important to a, a person is very individual. I have this uh, project some years ago in, in Philadelphia where it was in a poor part of Philadelphia and there was a absenteeism was a big problem. Mostly the employment base was young single mothers. Okay. And, you know, if you did a root cause analysis here, they were missing work because they had a, a challenge taking care of their kids. 
Yeah. You know, the babysitter didn't show up or the kid had a sniffles or something like that. For whatever reason, the real re- reason they couldn't come to work was something to do with their children. So I talked the company into creating a daycare right at the company. Mm. You know, and, it, you know, they already had the space. They outfitted it. They hired a person that or staff for it that were certified you know, certified to take care of young children. Yeah, and yeah. the problem was solved, you know? And uh, you know, so we have to think about the circumstances. You know, the, the, these young mothers didn't, you know, they could have used the pay, but the extra pay would have gone to babysitters and it wouldn't but have solved still the problem of the company. Right. Right. Yeah, right. this actually really reminds me of a situation in my, one of my previous jobs, because I used to work at a manufacturing set, as in our office was there. And they used to bring a massage therapist every two weeks because as you can imagine if you're working on the shop floor if you're trying to deliver there you know people have issues right yeah and this kind of really helped like the example you said just literally reminds me of that because operational excellence was a key thing there too right right so but i I really like the definition and i really it's just i'm just going to interject that so it's surprising the ad did not expect the holistic Aspect of the seeing it as an organism part. That was so I learned something today already. Take a note. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, when you're looking at operational excellence in an organization, there are going to be these lever points. You know, there's a certain approach to operational excellence in production. A lot of the tools for that trade are in the lean and six sigma world. You know, a lot of the tools in, for finance are found in, you know, the accounting system and cash flow analysis and inventory mm-hmm. turns and whatever it might be. So when you're looking at, you know, operational excellence, you have to think about the tools be, being agnostic. A tool doesn't care that it belongs to Lean or Six Sigma or theory of constraints or, you know, the the, mm-hmm. the management system called Purple. By the way, there isn't one called Purple, but it just used to, I use that as a like and whatever other system that you want to consider. You know, if you're looking at an opportunity and challenge, what is the right approach and what are the tools necessary to face that? And talent, by the way, is you know, is also in there, not just the tool itself. Like for instance, I'm sure that if I shared with everyone that occasionally I've been known to hammer a nail into a wall to ham, hang a picture with the handle of a screwdriver instead of a hammer. I mean, ha- who hasn't done that, right? You know, I need to put a hammer, a nail into the wall, and I use a, I, I don't use a hammer, I use something else. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, it gets the job done. It might not be as eloquent, it might not be as elegant, and it might not be the right tool, but it got the job done. And those hands, which is where the executing according to plan thing from your yeah. definition comes in, right? As long as we, as long yeah. as the nail gets into the wall in time, we're good. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But you know, we wanted to talk a little bit about marketing too, you know, yeah, operational right. and excellence in marketing. Yep. So, you know, marketing is a real big challenge when it comes to measuring it using Lean Six Sigma tools. In my opinion, you know, you put out an ad and you can see how it does. You know, how many click-throughs, and maybe you could trace it back to purchase. But if you don't sell products, you sell solutions. Now, that's where, yeah. you know, that's where we are. We sell solutions. People are not going to click on our ad when we're in this, you know, something that we tried relentlessly some years ago. They're not going to click on our ad because what we have to sell 
is something that has to be custom configured for every client. You know, how do we make a customer operate better? Well, it depends on where their weaknesses are, right? Yeah. You know, if I sell, if I'm selling a, a gadget, you know, you put a picture of a camera up there and people are going to click on it, especially if you like cameras, you're going to click on it. If you like, you know, vacations and exotic places, you know, it's going to catch your eye and people are going to click on it. So those ads are going to work very well. But if you're a company that sells solutions, it's really hard to convey that solution in an ad, you know, or even to catch somebody's eye and and have it be the eye you want to catch. So I've had the opportunity to, uh, to manage the metrics and monitor the metrics of my operational excellence group on LinkedIn. And so this is really going to be a talk about marketing for solution providers. Okay. Because that's what I, that's the experience that I have. My group, I'm going to give you some metrics. My group has about 140,000 people in it. It's a pretty good-sized group. And and these are stats that I get right off of LinkedIn. As as a group owner, I can see those stats. So I got about 140,000 members in my group. Of that 140,000 members, on a rolling 15-day basis, so just looking backwards, 15 days every day, on a rolling 15-day basis, two-thirds of them engage the group. Okay, so that's a pretty impactful number. Two-thirds engage the group. Over that 15-day period, there's roughly 500 posts, 500 new posts. And out of those 500 posts and that two-thirds participation, I have, on a rolling 15-day basis, roughly 1.5 million people that look at these posts. Yeah. That's a pretty gigantic number. Yeah. Right. But I run the group with an iron fist. When I say that, the only posts that I allow in the group are those posts that drive value to the constituents, not to the person posting. Yeah. Which is the way okay. to do it. Yeah. yeah. So, so I don't want to hear about your webinar or your conference, and I don't want to hear about your software solution or anything else. It's got to be content that's driven to the benefit of the consumer, the reader. Now, what I noticed is that this increases the engagement. You know, people go there and they find wisdom. Now, by the way, if you say something smart, like say, you know, I, I post once a month or so in my own group, but it's always, you know, some substantive content. If I say something that's smart, that resonates with somebody, that person's going to reach out to me. I don't have to yeah. tell them, reach out to me. You know what I mean? If you have any yeah. questions, reach out. I mean, it's just, it's almost insulting their intelligence. You know, it's like, of course, I shared something that's really cool. I'm going to reach out to you. It's not like anybody's going to say, don't, whatever you don't reach out to me, you know? So I compare that with the Lean Six Sigma group that I manage. And I don't own it. I just manage it, but I can still see the stats. It's got roughly 950,000 members. So that's about seven times the size of my group. Okay. But out of that 950,000 members, less than 3% engage on a rolling 15-day basis. Okay? It's got 2,500 posts for 15 days, and it's got less than 200,000 views, where I have 1.5 million. The difference between the two groups is how they're managed. The Lean Six Sigma group allows for 
anybody that wants to sell or promote anything, conferences, webinars, you know, product, whatever it is. So you really have to fight. The consumer really has to fight to find something that's of interest to them. And so they don't engage. So for the solution seller and for anybody selling, if you make it about the it, if you make your marketing about the it, especially for solution selling, you're not going to get nearly as much traction as you could if you drove wisdom to the consumer. Yeah, that makes sense. It's basically you have to give them what they're looking for and not give them what you want to sell them. Right, right. Exa exactly right. And let them let them start looking at you as a trusted advisor. You know, and by the way, you know, it takes a long time. You know, it only took me 20 years to become an overnight success, right? You know, it just takes time. But the long form is something else for you to consider. This is, you know, a little bit counterintuitive to what you might read. But I prefer the long form content. Like, and, you know, when I say long form content, I'm talking about, you know, 1,250 words or more. You know, as opposed yeah. to 500 words, because everybody's already written that those 500 words on leadership, you know, you have to do a deeper dive. And psychologically, you know, we use our phones today as a substitute for the newspaper. You know, the morning paper, you know, we used to, you know, you know, read it while we're having breakfast or having a cup of coffee. Now we look at our phones. OK. Or we, when we're sitting on the can, you know. We're looking at our phones. It's a substitute. It's something to occupy our minds, right? The content we have to put out there, the content we have to put out there has to be substantive because we want it to have mass. And with mass comes gravity, okay? We want to have content out there that people find because they're looking for quality content on that. Yeah. Not just because it happened to be in your feed, because they're actually in active, actively seeking the solution that you're providing. I have a solution that monitors the internet for any, any reference to me or any of my posts. And I got a couple of years ago, I got dragged into one and the gentleman wrote something very favorable about one of my articles and about me. And I had never met this guy before. Didn't know who he was. Didn't understand. Didn't never even heard of the company. But, you know, fast forward, you know, he's a COO and president of a, a gigantic publicly traded company that does construction services that I never heard of, you know, multi-billion dollar organization. We connected and within a short amount of time, I had an engagement with him in the company. Now, the thing you need to have consider or consider is that I had written that article he referenced five years prior. Okay, so if you're thinking about marketing, you're thinking about solution selling through marketing. Start with the why, to borrow from Simon Sinek, start with the why. And the reason we start with the why is because sometimes we're so into it that we assume everybody knows it. Okay, nine times out of 10, the person that's ultimately going to hire me does not understand the widgets that I use. They just have pain that they want taken away. Now, they don't care what goes in it. They just want their pain taken away. So by having that level of gravity and starting with the why, it resonates with the people that are novices in the discipline that you're going to leverage in, in taking away their pain. So start with the why, then get into the, to the how. What's the approach? 
then get into the what. These are the bits and pieces that you need in order to support the approach. And then the takeaway, what is expected? You know, at the conclusion of this journey, what do you expect to get? And if you speak that in the narrative, as opposed to the forensic, you know, we're not teaching anybody at universe to be anything about theory of constraints or lean or six sigma. If you're talking about to business people about business problems, they don't care about how the sausage is made or what goes in it. They just want to eat the sausage. Yeah. So, so the metrics are in that approach are a lot more challenging because you can't analyze, you know, how many clicks you got on the ad, right? Because that click might be five years from now, right? So the content for the solution seller is going to have a long tail, but hopefully it establishes you or your company as thought leaders in that discipline. How long did it take you to, you know, figure out like the best way to apply this to marketing? Because to be fair, when you talked about your groups, I agree. The whole thing would have taken time to come up, and you know, in terms of building your reputation and stuff. But it's interesting to like when you look to the metrics. Like, when did it suddenly hit you that right, you've got this right now? Early on, when I reached five thousand members of the group, you know, and by, mind you, I, early on, I wasn't really monitoring the activity in the group. Yes, yeah, yeah. you know, okay. So you know, I was just approving people, and then I got to a point at five thousand. LinkedIn sent me a message. Hey, you reached 5,000 members. You have to ask permission to, to go beyond. Yeah. Okay. So I asked permission and like instantly I got it. And so then at 10,000, okay, they sent me another message. You're at 10,000. You have to ask permission to go beyond. And of course they asked it, but now I'm thinking, who the hell are these 10,000 people? 10,000 people is <laughs> yeah. a lot of people. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so I started really, I mean, now I'm paying attention. 10,000 people is a lot of people. I started paying attention to, you know, their challenges, what their comments were, what their posts were. What I've noticed over time is the amount of engagement on a post has dramatically yes. declined over that time. I mean, posts don't get that much engagement. They hardly get that many likes anymore. I think it's because they know that as soon as they say, I like this or I comment about it, they're going to be solicited. Okay. And yes. I think yeah. that they just don't want to be bothered. I mean, you know, like I was at a trade show and I'm getting bombarded with one of the vendors there. And I, you know, even though I have no interest in their product, cause it's got no relevance to what I do, I'm still getting the solicitations. So it's almost like if you get on a list, you don't want to get on a list because then you're just going to get bombarded with stuff. So I really think that the level of engagement has stopped because people used it to actively harvest opportunities to connect and to solicit and to engage. And I go from the other, if you're a lean person, if you're yeah. a lean person, you believe in creating a pull. Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah that, we don't buy uh, inventory unless we have a need for it. We don't want to make product unless we have it sold. Mm -hmm. We want to create a pull. Yeah. In marketing, we want to create a pull also. Yeah. Now, what's better than pushing is creating a pull and having this person actively seek you out because you've already then gone through the first hurdle of qualification. Yeah. That's actually a very nice parallel there. I, I do like a lot. But the other thing I wanted to ask, because you spoke about the difficulties that are created in with regards to measurement by the time delay, right? That is so prevalent in this sort of pull approach of the thought leadership method. But I wanted to ask, are there any other areas where sort of lean Six Sigma-ish measurement stuff would make sense from an operational excellence perspective. Like, for example, I could track the process inputs, right? In your case, you said, publish this article, which was good. 
five years later, there's the opportunity. So instead of being too concerned with measuring the returns, maybe I should have measurements that say, do we put out a good, do we put out an article? I don't know, every other week or once per quarter or whatever. Is there any? Okay, point? that's a great question, Florian. We publish a newsletter, it goes out to about 20,000 people. We publish it once a month. We used to do it, try it twice a month. But I, what I saw was that people were opting out because they thought they were getting too much from yeah. us. Okay, mm -hmm. so we throttled yeah. it back to once a month. Once a month, but it's very impactful. So one of the things that we analyze and collect is who's engaging with the newsletter, who's opening it, what are they reading on a continual basis, okay? So there's a lot of people that, you know, will open it, they'll look at it once and that'll be it. But mm -hmm. who are our fans? You know, you know, fans are better than customers. You know, yep. Absolutely. The fan, fans will forgive a lot and will give you a premium for whatever it is that you're trying to share with them. Mm -hmm. It's funny, you know, every once in a while, I'll get a note from somebody that tells me that you know, I've been a mentor to them. You know, the, co the content that I create has really helped their career or whatever it might be. I don't even know this. You know, the person never reached out to me or mm -hmm. I might not even be aware that they've seen my content, but they do. Yeah. So there's a lot that has to be on faith. And so it's, you know, when you think about Lean Six Sigma tools and measurement, the real measurements I get are from my newsletter because I can yeah. see, you know, yeah. individuals that open every one, really forage through all the content, you know, each and every time. And those are the people that I know um, are really following. And then I try yeah. to figure out, you know, what their backstory is. You know, who do they work for? What, where do they work in that company? You know, what challenges that company might be facing. Oftentimes, I'll just reach out and say, hey, listen, let's just get on the phone for 30 minutes and, you know, exchange stories. I like to use the word exchange stories. Mm -hmm. People don't, you know, what's your, you know, what's a day in your life like? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you know, what's, and everybody's got stories that they want to tell. Yeah. Yeah, but I think these are excellent points. And I want to bring us back to what you said in the beginning, that your image with the rock that hits the water surface, right? If you stick with those practices, which I think I can summarize, I really like your image of the pull in marketing instead of the push, right? If you stick with this spec practice, you'll have positive impacts eventually on the other areas of the business and vice versa. If, like I often tell clients that consulting is a relationship business still, which means your marketing should maximize relationships for the firm. Right. Not, yeah. trans not transactions, which then if you conclude that thought also means what you need to be measuring is the quality, like the number of quality and so forth, relationship building efforts, right? not so much transactions. I mean, of course, you need to keep, you know, a tab on costs and you want to maybe see revenue sometimes, but if you prioritize those measurements too much, you, you, you sort of financialize the entire effort that's really to the detriment of the relationships. And that's what you want. You want to bring in more people, like you said fans who might then become clients or what, whatever else, but that, and we often discuss this in this podcast, but that being the primary objective of marketing in a consulting context is make sure the firm has more friends, which business developers might then convert into clients if the opportunity arises, right? But these people will come to you, not the other way around. I mean, this was great stuff and we we're almost up on time, Joseph. So you mentioned a bunch of things you have. So okay, do, where should people go to find you and your group? And I think you mentioned a book and you have two podcasts which we'll put into the Yes. Into the show so well. um, the easiest thing to do, if you want, I have a, a page that I've created that has links 
to everything like yeah. you know my various companies the podcasts nice. profile and everything else so it's pretty easy it's joseph paris one word joseph paris dot me me slash card so joseph paris dot me slash card and you'll get everything there is to know about me you get to yeah. my linkedin profile you get to my podcast you get to everything from there and that's excellent and for our german listeners that will be joseph with p and h not with an s right <laughs> right but we will right. put the, we'll put that but we'll put the link in the show notes yeah. well, that was great really appreciate you taking the time it's always good to hear from practitioners from like far away from outside the marketing space and collect your thoughts on it and also i think powerful testimony to some of the things we often talk about here from you as a as a professional who also you know runs an advisory business or several advisory right. businesses yeah. <laughs> cool no thanks for making the time ash if you don't have no this has been a brilliant conversation so thanks for hopping on I yeah my pleasure stop the recording here and thank you very much florian and ash Cheers. Thank you. Have a good one. Speak soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Unbillable Hours. If you want more, tune in next week. You know where to find us. 